Today, again, we're in this series called the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at the words of Jesus. When Jesus gathered his followers together and was giving them what, uh, what we are describing as his all-in speech. So not only did he have his closest followers, but he also had their many people that were interested in becoming his followers. So as he's talking with these people, he's explaining to them what it should look like for us to be all-in. So if you're a Christ follower, this sermon that Jesus preached and this series that we're doing based upon that sermon should have big implications for us. Now, these are God's expectations for how we live as his followers. And so as we're walking through this, we all should be evaluating our lives and asking, am I living the way that God wants me to live? And if you aren't a Christ follower, I think this is a great series to be here for because in this, you can learn what it would look like for you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I've discovered in my journey as a pastor and as a Christ follower is that there are many people who aren't Christ followers and the reason they aren't is because they know a Christ follower who doesn't act like one. Anybody met anybody like that? Anybody willing to say that maybe you are that sometimes if you're a Christ follower, maybe you don't live the way that you should? I'll put both hands up for me on that one. So uh, sometimes a, a, a person who's not a Christ follower will say, you know, I watch people who claim to be Christ followers who don't live what they say they believe and that holds me back. I don't want to do that. So if you're not a Christ follower, what we're learning in this series can help you explore what it would look like for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus and be an authentic, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christ follower or not, I think we can learn a whole lot together from what Jesus is teaching. Now we're gonna be in Matthew chapter six today. We're gonna really look at kind of the whole thing that Jesus says in, in that. We won't look at every specific part, but there's some big things that Jesus is gonna talk about. We're gonna look at three major things out of Matthew chapter six, and we're gonna start in verse one. So verse one says this, Jesus speaking, he says, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Let me pause there for just a minute. This was not something that Jesus brought up as an exaggerated example to make a point. So Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, don't do this thing that nobody would ever think about doing. Jesus was actually talking about something that actually happened in his day. So if there was somebody who was uh, in a position of prominence or, or had a lot of wealth in Jesus' day, and if they chose to support somebody financially who was struggling, somebody who was poor, who was in a really difficult situation, and they decided to give them money, often that money had strings attached to it. There was an expectation of something that that person receiving that money would do in return for that person who gave the money. And it could look like this. It actually could look like when that person of wealth walked into that city that they lived in or a city they were visiting, that the person who received the money would blow an actual trumpet and sing the praises of the person that gave them the money. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine how kind of humiliating that would be if you were on the receiving end? Can you imagine how weird that should be for the person who gave the money? And Jesus said, don't do that. 
That's, that's not good. He said this. He said, I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about our inner motives. He says, if your inner motive for helping someone is to get attention, is so everybody thinks that you're such a great, awesome person, that's a bad thing. But if our motive is to truly help people, to uh, have people see what God is doing maybe in us and through us, then that is a good thing. But many Christians have come to the conclusion, based upon what Jesus has just said here, that we should never let anybody see us doing anything good. Like we should never let anybody see that or we're disobeying Jesus in some way. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. So this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We haven't addressed this yet, but we're gonna address it briefly now. So Jesus, in that moment, he's talking about us being salt and light in the world. And in verse 14, he says this. He says, you are the light of the world, speaking to his followers, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So are we supposed to let people see our good deeds or not? It depends. It depends on your motives. If your motive is to get attention, to get people to praise us, that's a bad thing. If our motive is to get people to praise God, that's a good thing. Now, I do think that Jesus is making a clear distinction here between two things. He's making a distinction between doing a public act of good for someone like 3G Saturday that's coming up. And he's making a distinction between that and giving to someone personally who's in a moment of financial need. So when it comes to the public act of good, I don't want, and I don't think Jesus is recommending that any of us show up on 3G Sunday at your project with a hat on and a wig and and glasses, hoping no one notices you because you don't want anybody seeing you doing something good. That's not what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was also saying, when you help somebody personally, it should be personal. It should be private. If it can be anonymous, even better. We shouldn't give to someone so that other people notice what we gave. And we got to be careful with this. This is something that like, we shouldn't like, lie about it. If somebody says, hey, did you help that person? You shouldn't lie. Like, that would be wrong, too. But at the same time, we shouldn't find like subtle ways to announce tooting our, tooting our own horn the stuff that we've done. Like sometimes we can turn a concern that really is gossip into kind of a prayer request. So we tell other people, you know, so-and-so, they're really struggling. Yeah, I gave them some money. Like pat me on the back, would you please? Because I really need some affirmation of what I just did. And in a world of social media, where we can look for all kinds of affirmation out there from the world, where if we don't get enough likes or thumbs up or comments, we start wondering, why didn't they say something about this cool thing that I did? I think we really start wondering about our own motives. And so we gotta be careful about the motives that we have when we're helping other people. 
Now, two things that Jesus continually addresses in the Sermon on the Mount is hypocrisy and rewards. So we're going to see today, and we'll see throughout this sermon, Jesus say, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, what Jesus was talking about was primarily the religious leaders of his day that would say one thing and do another. And so I think one of the encouraging things out of that for me is if we don't like hypocrisy or Christian hypocrisy, where people say one thing and do another, Jesus hates it as well. And so we need to be, I think, encouraged by that and challenged that we don't live that way, that we don't live as hypocrites. We don't tell people to do one thing and then we do another. Like our walk and talk should match each other. And then Jesus talks about rewards continually. He says, God will reward you for living out the verses that I'm talking to you about. God will reward you for living all in in our relationship with him. Now, we're not exactly sure what all those rewards are. Scripture talks about crowns that we can be given in eternity as a reward for how we have lived on this earth. Scripture also talks about us being joint heirs with Christ. So follow me for just a second. The Bible says that God the Father is going to give God the Son an inheritance for how he has lived. And he's going to share that inheritance with a group of people who don't deserve it. And that's us if you're a Christ follower. And I don't know if that blows your mind, but that blows my mind. People who have done nothing to receive the, the grace and mercy from God will get to share what Christ legitimately earned as he lived his life perfectly to God the Father's will. He's going to share that with us. And if that doesn't make you humbled, if that doesn't make you so grateful for God's grace and mercy, I don't know what will. So Jesus talks a lot about rewards in scripture for us living all in in our relationship with him. And in verse five, Jesus shifts subjects and he starts talking about prayer. And in verse five, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. There's that word again who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Now, again, Jesus was not coming up with an exaggerated example to prove his point. That was something that happened. So in that day, when, when people would go to church, there would be sometimes people that would stand up in church talking to God like it was supposed to be some private thing, but would make it public praying out loud, hoping everybody would hear their prayer. And as they heard their prayer, they were taking all of the rewards of that, saying, man, my prayer sounds so great. Listen to me, I'm so awesome. I can just pray so well. I hope everybody hears what I'm praying and thinks that I am almost like Jesus. And as they were praying that way, Jesus says, that's the wrong way to pray. It's the only reward you get if that's your motive in praying. So Jesus continues... There, and he says, I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. So again, Jesus is talking about a motives issue. And this time he's talking about our motives when it comes to praying. So if our motive in praying is to get attention, Jesus calls that hypocrisy. If our motive is to give God attention, Jesus says, God will reward you for that. Now, I want to point out a couple of things from uh, what Jesus just said about prayer. And the first thing is this. 
Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. So if you are a follower of Jesus, prayer, which is a conversation with God, should be a regular part of your life, should be a daily part of your interaction with God. And I don't know if that intimidates anybody. I don't know, you know if you're new to faith, you may think, man, that's just, that's just too weird. Like, you know, the thought of you know, conversing with God Almighty, what do you say to him that he doesn't already know? Uh, maybe you feel unworthy to have a conversation with him. Maybe you feel like he doesn't care that much about you. That's not true. He does love you and he wants to have a deep personal relationship with you. But if you feel any one of those ways, I understand because I have felt that way in my life. I grew up in the church culture, and some of the churches that I were, was a part of growing up, um, for those churches, sometimes it was not uncommon for the pastor to stand up at the beginning of the service and point out someone and ask them to stand and pray at the beginning of the service, and at the end of the service, point out somebody else and ask them to stand and pray at the end of the service. That was the moment when I would always tie my shoe you did not want to catch eyes with the pastor in that moment. Like, you might be asked to pray in front of everybody. And I would listen to people pray publicly like that, and I would hear these beautiful prayers. And I would think, I could never do that. I sound like a bumbling idiot when I pray. Like, why would God ever want me to pray publicly like this? Like, this is horrible. But what we're about to learn is that God is not interested in polished prayers. God's interested in sincere, purposeful prayers. So we all can learn how to pray, and we all should, but I, I, I want us to be clear about something. Jesus was not saying don't pray publicly. We do that all the time here. Jesus was not saying that Jesus prayed publicly on a regular basis. Jesus was saying, when you're praying, watch your motives. If your motive is to get attention, that's bad. If your motive is to point attention to God, that's a good thing. In verse seven, Jesus gives us some more insight into how not to pray. In verse seven, he says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, how many of you grew up in a church culture or a faith system where you were taught to pray the same prayers over and over and over again? How many of you would say that? Okay, a number of people are in that spot. So, I mean, no disrespect to that, that family system that you grew up in, that faith system, that church system, um, but Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, don't pray the same prayers word for word, over and over again. Why? Because that's a very shallow conversation. Imagine having the exact same conversation with somebody every time you talk to them, and they said the exact same words. Like some of you are thinking about somebody right now, and you're thinking, you know, every time they call, it's the same thing. You know, sometimes I wonder if God doesn't feel that way with us. And I think that's why Jesus is saying, don't pray the same words over and over and over again. That leans towards a very shallow relationship, and God doesn't want a shallow relationship with you. He wants a deep relationship where you pour out your heart before God, where you listen to God as he wants to speak to you as well. So we got to be careful about saying the same words over and over again. And then in verse nine, Jesus says, 
Instead, pray like this. He gives us what most of us know as the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Again, that is probably the most famous prayer in the entire world. And I want us to notice a few things about this. Number one, this is a model prayer. Jesus already said that we should not pray the same words over and over and over again, thinking we're going to get God's attention. So even though this is a beautiful prayer, and I don't think God minds us praying it word for word occasionally, I do think we have to be careful praying it word for word only and expecting that that is going to help us have a great relationship with God. Again, Jesus said, don't pray like that. He offered this as a model prayer. Now, in this model prayer, there's two parts. The first part focuses on God. The second part focuses on us. And Jesus says, as you begin a conversation with God, first remember who you're talking to. This is God Almighty. This is God who's in control of everything, even that situation that you're very concerned with right now. God's in control of of everything. And so we need that reminder as we come before him, remembering who he is and what he has done in the world, what he can do in our lives in this moment. And I don't know if any of you struggle with that kind of coming in slowly in your prayer life, but I do. There are moments as I engage my conversation with God, I say, God, good to see you. I need, I need, I need, I need. I need this, I need that, and I wish you would hurry up because it's been five seconds since I prayed this prayer. Would you hurry up and just you know, answer for me? And Jesus says, slow down, Sparky. Like, slow down. Like, remember who you're talking to. You're talking to the creator of the universe who has all the resources available to him to help you. So just remember who he is. And then Jesus says, there's nothing wrong with talking to God about your needs. You have needs. They're legitimate needs. God knows what they are. He wants to hear from us as we share those needs. So he says, go ahead, pour out your heart. Some of us have like daily provision needs that, we, that we're wrestling with. Some of us have forgiveness issues. And we're saying, God, like, forgive me. Like, I'm working on forgiving this person. Like, help me forgive them and forgive me as well. And there's protection issues for all of us that we need to be praying against a real enemy that would love to, to distract us in our relationship with God. So we have legitimate needs. And Jesus says, there's nothing wrong with talking to God about your legitimate needs. Pour your heart out to God and let him converse with you about that. So how's your prayer life? If you are new to faith, you might think, prayer life, I don't even know that I have one of those. Like, I don't know that I've had a conversation with God. That might be intimidating. And yet I want you to be encouraged because you can learn. You can learn how to pray. Jesus gave us this model prayer for us to learn how to do that. Learn how to slow down as we remember who we're talking to. And then learn how to pour out our heart before God and let him speak to us 
while we're speaking to him as well. And sometimes when, when I'm doing that, you know, I'll have a real need that I'm talking to God about. And there are moments that as I'm conversing with God, he'll remind me, you know what, that, that may not be as big of a need as I thought I was. And maybe actually I need that thing in my life because God's doing something great in me through that need and provide some dependence upon God that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise. So there's all kinds of things that we can learn as we're talking to God. And if you're new to prayer, um, one of the things I'd encourage you to do is take our small group experience called 40 Days of Prayer. And we've just kind of finished a, uh, a round with that and we'll have another one starting up. But if you're interested in learning how to pray, I encourage you to sign up for that next time we offer that. And I also encourage you, just use this model prayer that Jesus gave us and you could start today in learning how to do that. Now, if you aren't new to prayer, how's your prayer life? When was the last time you had a meaningful conversation with the creator of the universe who wants to hear from you? When was the last time? The reason I ask that is because sometimes as Christ followers, we can get complacent in our prayer life and our conversations with God, and sometimes we can drift from those things. Sometimes something happens where God doesn't work in a way that we want him to work, and so we get angry at him, and we decide to take it out by uh, the, the treatment of, of punishing him through silence. You know, I'm just not going to talk to you for a while because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Or other times, we make a choice that we're ashamed of, and we feel such shame and guilt in our lives that we don't feel like we're worthy to talk to God. There's all kinds of reasons why we can drift from our communication with God. So again, if you're a Christ follower, how's your prayer life? If you haven't been talking to God meaningfully lately, he misses you. He wants to engage that conversation deeply with you. He wants you to pour out your heart before him. If it's a sin issue, he wants you to come running into his arms and confess that and allow him to forgive you and help you to move forward. If it's an anger issue, confess that. He wants to talk to you about that thing that he's doing in your life. So being all in means that we have an ever-growing relationship with God that happens through prayer. Now in verse 19, Jesus moves on to talk about another subject, something I think all of us deal with. And so I'm gonna read from verse 19 down to verse 34. So it's a big section of this passage that I'm gonna read together. So let's all hang in here as I do that. So Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Verse 22, he says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. 
And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And the answer is yes. Some of you may have come in this morning wondering that, like, am I valuable? Am I valuable to God? Am I valuable to anybody? And he wants you to know this morning, you are incredibly valuable. You are so valuable. God the Father sent God the Son to earth to die so that you could know how valuable you are. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You are so incredibly valuable. And Jesus continues in verse 27 and says, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, well, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So my wife and I, lived in that passage of scripture from Matthew 6, 19 through 34, for almost two years of our lives. It was over 20 years ago when I was working on finishing my graduate degree. And at the time, we had two young children, Sydney and Maddie, and they were really little at the time. We lived in Virginia, and I was working at a university, and in exchange for my work there, they helped to pay for my education. And on top of that, so going to school full-time and full-time job, on top of that, they agreed to pay me $700 a month. If you're thinking that's not much, you're right. That was my point. That's not much at all with a family of four. So we had a car payment. We had um, insurance uh, related to that as well. And so that narrowed it down to us living on $350 a month, again, with a family of four. And we were really hurting financially at that time. Felt like God had led us there to finish my degree. And yet at that time, there were many moments where we're like, we don't know that we can do this. We might as well head back home, get my old job again, and we could get out of this financial pressure. And then on top of that, we felt like God was asking us to begin the spiritual discipline of tithing. And if you're not familiar with tithing, It's the ancient spiritual discipline of giving 10% of your income back to God through a local church. And I had grown up around church world and I had always felt like tithing was a great thing for somebody else to do, Um, not me. I thought it was great for maybe people who were more spiritual or people who made a lot of money, whatever, and I never fit into any of those categories from my definitions. And so I just thought that was for somebody else. But my wife and I continually felt like God wanted us to begin the adventure of tithing. And I'm scratching my head going like, how in the world would God ever want us to do that? Why would he want us to do this? Especially now when we're making so little money. I mean, what could God do with like $70 a month? Like what's he gonna do with that? but we continued to feel like God wanted us to do that. And so my wife was managing the finances at the time and she started writing checks to the church that we were attending. If you're not familiar with checks, they're these little pieces of paper thing that you write and you tear it out of this little book and then it's kind of like money, but not really. Um, Sorry. 
So she started writing checks, $35 twice a month, and would hand it off. And that was the beginning of an adventure that I look back upon and say it was an adventure of trust. It wasn't an adventure of money. It wasn't an adventure really of tithing for us. It was really about us trusting God. And my wife and I look back on those two years with some mixed emotions. Those were some of the hardest years that we've had in our marriage. And yet at the same time, those are some of the fondest years that we have because what God did in our lives that was so foundational uh, in our relationship with him in those very difficult moments of challenge and trusting that God would meet our needs. And I wish I could remember all the amazing things that God did, and I can't. So here's just a few of the things that God did in that time frame. So number one, again, we had young kids at the time, and Maddie was eight months old when we moved there, and she was on uh, formula, so we needed formula. And if you have kids that are on formula, you know, you've ever like bought formula, you know how expensive that can be. And my boss's wife was a nurse, and she gave us all the formula that we needed. So amazing blessing at that moment. And then God provided me a part-time job in addition to my full-time job where I had a lot of flexibility of when I did that job. And that helped out so much uh, in, that, in that adventure. And then my wife became a bargain shopping specialist. <laughs> I think I see her over in the corner. Is that you, Tammy? It is. Okay, great. All right. She's here to verify that I'm telling this story right. So she became the expert of, of buying just amazing things and finding amazing deals. So she would come home and buying clothes, maybe buying shoes, buying food, whatever. And she would come home and say, you're never going to guess how much I got this for. And it was, became kind of a game that we in, engaged with each other. And I'd say, I don't know, $10. Nope, lower. So we'd keep going down to like a dollar or 50 cents. I'm like, no way. You did not buy that for 50 cents. Yep, she did. She'd go out and find something else. Like she became the expert of taking $5 and turning it into $50 and stretching our, our resources in some amazing ways through provision that God provided. And she also paid off $5,000 credit card debt that we came to that adventure with as well as some medical bills that we had while we were there. So how did we pay off $5,000 credit card debt on a fraction of the income that we had prior to that adventure? My wife will say it's because she was in charge of the finances. <laughs> She's right. And, and I will say, in addition to that, it's because of what God did. God kept his promise from Matthew chapter 6 when we agreed that we were going to seek God first. And we were going to do what he was asking us to do in that moment, that we were going to trust him. And he kept his promises to us. Now, here's where I do not ask you for money. I didn't tell you all that to set this up to ask you to, to tithe. This is where I ask you, what do you need to trust God with? What's the big issue in your world that you need to trust God with? For some of you, maybe it is money. Maybe the control issue in your life is you've got your hands wrapped too tightly around your finances. And maybe God is saying, open that up because I'm the one that put that in your life anyway. So maybe God is asking some of you to do that. But for others of you, maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe you've got this broken relationship that God is asking you to trust him with. Maybe there's a health issue that you're not sure what to do with. Maybe the doctors aren't sure what to do with. And yet God is asking you to trust him 
in that area. Maybe, maybe you're anxious about your future. You're not sure what the future holds and there's so much anxiety in your life based upon that and the uncertainty that lies ahead of you. And maybe this morning God is saying, trust me with your future. I already got your eternity, so I think I can handle your tomorrow. Like, trust me with this one. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe you're being accused of something that you haven't done. Only you would know what you may need to trust God with. But I think we all have control issues in one area of our lives or another. So what do you need to trust God with this morning? Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. So Jesus hit three big subjects today. He hit the subject of us checking our motives. He hit the subject of us praying, talking to him on a regular basis. And he hit the subject of trust, trusting him with something. So what do you need to to work on as a result of today's message? Do you need to check your motives for something that you're doing, that you're maybe trying to get attention in a way that God doesn't want you to get attention, but wants you to learn how to give attention? Maybe it's starting to talk to God through prayer. Maybe it's coming back and talking to him after a time away. If you've been away from God, he misses you. He misses talking to you. And what is it that you need to trust him with? And will you do that today? Will you take that step towards being all in with him by loosening the grip that you have over that thing and trusting him with it? Now, next week, we're going to continue the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, the first few verses in that chapter. And we're going to look at something that I think is probably one of the most misunderstood things that Jesus said out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's misunderstood by Christ followers and non-Christians alike, and often both groups love to quote one verse out of it. And when we get to that chapter, I think you'll know which verse it is. So I hope you'll come back next week as we dive into that. If you want to read ahead, feel free. If you're new to us, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you'll catch up quickly in what we'll be talking about and what we have already spoken about. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to guide us out today. So, Jesus, we are just benefiting so greatly from the sermon that you preached over 2,000 years ago. It's still applicable to our lives today. As we've looked today, there's still moments where we need to check our inner motives for why we do what we do. And we still need to learn how to pray, learn how to talk to you, or reconnect with you through deep, meaningful conversation And God, we all know there's a trust issue we all have. So Lord, I just pray for us as we walk out of here today that that we would walk out with that one thing that we need to focus on, that one thing that we know that we need to do, we need to work on in our lives. Lord, I, I know that you have spoken to all of us individually and there's something you want us to do. I pray that we would take a step today, even in this next song, 
and then all throughout the week of being all in with you. We'd stop holding back. We'd stop um, finding excuses for, for why we can't be all in and be fully devoted. The Lord, that we would take a step of courage today to do that. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.